the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I see my name in shiny lights, yeah, a different city every night, oh, I, I swear, the world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. It's time to get down to business on the weekend's number one business program. Known as the king of networking, your host, Shalom Klein, has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and created countless jobs. So, to success, let's get down to business. We are all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You are on with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at shalomkline.com. And while you are there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Shalom Klein. And we've got a jam-packed week of some fantastic guests, some great content, some great advice, some great information for you. Uh, you won't want to miss a minute of it. I'm going to kick off the program with the uh, curious problem solver who's focused on building the cities of the future. And that individual is Ibrahim Eleanor. Uh, Ibrahim, thank you so much for joining me here on Get Down to Business. Hi, yeah, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So uh, as uh, as the intro suggested, you are a curious problem solver, but not only are you curious, you are <laughs> accomplishing what you have set out to do. And that's why you were named uh, one of Chicago Innovations 25 under 25 last year in 2019. Let's talk a little bit about you, you uh, the guy behind the microphone. Yeah. So I've had my entrepreneurial journey. I think I started off when I was in high school. So I came from a very small town in the middle of nowhere in Florida. My mother is, uh, was from Trinidad and Tobago and she was trying to be an elementary school teacher. So I really came from very modest and humble means. And uh, I kind of started my trajectory into entrepreneurship when I thought about how could I make the biggest impact? I had a really good mentor who put me in touch with some people who were in the entrepreneurship world and ended up being an angel investment for about 10 months when I was in high school which was crazy. I was going to school and I was wearing suits. It was a very interesting experience. And then everyone made fun of me for always being obsessed about networking. <laughs> but uh, over the years, it kind of like spiraled into this really passion about how do we create business models that will not only create a sustainable and sociable impact, but also solve real problems and are also sustainable. So over the last five years, I've been working on a few different projects. And most recently, the last three years, I've been focusing on City Health Tech. It's an organization focusing on preventing the spread of disease. Very, very interesting. So where did the idea uh, come from? And let's talk sort of about the experience. It's a, it's a crazy time to be starting something new, but uh, as, as we suggested, you're focused on solving problems. So let's sort of talk about the life cycle of the idea. Yeah, so I started this project in 2017. Uh, so this is back in like August. And I was having a conversation with my mom, who at the time was studying to be a nurse. And she talked about how hand washing is super critical and she was getting taught to sing the happy birthday song twice, every single time she washes her hands. And I just thought about that and thinking about the average doctor or nurse is not going to do that. Every single time they're washing hands, they're trying to save lives. And sure enough, she did her practicum and found the average person is washing their hands for about eight seconds. And that tracks nationally. The average person will only wash for about eight seconds. Only 5% of people will wash their hands for the full 20 seconds. 
And that's something I end up becoming obsessed with. And even thinking about the foundation of good design principles and how we wash our hands, we looked at the sink and that hand-washing process as a flawed system. So we approached it in figuring out how could we not only track hand-washing times, but encourage and engage people to wash their hands properly, especially if that's the purpose of what we're doing when we're washing our hands and going to the sink. So we kind of set up... I want to talk a little bit, Ibrahim, about some of the features of, uh, of, of, this, uh, of this incredible idea. And certainly uh, you started this conversation a while ago, but who knew uh, the situation that we'd be in? Um, let's start with the basics. Individuals are able to customize their 20-second hand-washing experience. What does a custom hand-washing experience look like? Yeah, so you can walk to the sink, and as you approach the sink, you'll be greeted with an animation. And when you put your hands into the bowl, it'll have a system of timers or custom animations. So it could be anything from mindfulness reminders to even calendar updates or news updates. So it could really be tailored and focused to the person. Right now, we've historically been focusing on elementary schools. That's been our big passion project, is how do you culturally create a mind shift on how people are washing their hands to approach disease prevention. Before coronavirus, there are a billion cases of the common cold in the U.S. every year. About a million days of school will be missed every single day due to preventable illness. It has a huge impact that has been literally increasing as time has gone on and seems to become closer and closer. So now we've seen a lot of these flaws in our systems now that the pandemic has come around, and we see all these people who are now, okay, wearing masks, we have to socially distance, and the importance of disease prevention. So overnight, we've kind of flipped our business model from focusing on elementary schools and how we create that behavior change in students to working with businesses and homes on how are they looking at their critical infrastructure for returning to a normal economy. And you're right for focusing on schools. Uh, schools are hit hardest by illness and and certainly by making this into a fun experience, it makes a difference. But the, the interesting uh, sort of outcome from this is if you're teaching proper hand-washing techniques at a young age, then hopefully you're also influencing uh, you know, they're, they're coming home um, and hopefully they're teaching their parents a thing or two about, you know, hey, at school, you know, we, we, you know, we were told 20 seconds and everybody's singing happy birthday or all sorts of other songs. Uh, I'm in the military, so, uh, so we sing the army song. That's, uh, that's our thing. But hey, to each their own. Um, so the technology is called Opal, I believe. What's the, uh, what's the meaning behind the, uh, the name? Yeah, so we wanted to create a product that felt very premium and important. We wanted to create something that's also eye-catching. So if you think about that opal color, it's something that's kind of very white, clean feeling, and also very attractive. So we felt that was a good name for the product. So when people look at the product, it's not something as an ugly timer that's put on a wall or something that you really don't care about. It really does look quite impressive. We wanted to create a piece that's something that's very engaging, really taking aesthetics from like the iPhone. So you've won a lot of awards um, for, uh, for a lot of the things that you've done, and we're going to go back to you in just a moment. But um, where are things um, right now with Opal? Uh, I know you're, you started with prioritizing schools. Obviously, right now, wow, it's crunch time. Everybody's talking about hand washing. What, what's the current status, and when can we start to see this out and about in the community? So right now, we're focusing on working with businesses and critical infrastructure, thinking about restaurants, hospitals, healthcare workers, and anybody who has to return to work to make sure that it's a safe environment. So we've had a plethora of customers that have been coming to us within the last you know, few months. We recently have been featured on Forbes, TechCrunch. Uh, we are on Fox Chicago. We're going to have an article with ABC coming out next week and also featured in the Obama Foundation, um, as I'm a member of the Community Leadership Corps there. So we got a lot of this interesting press and a lot of awareness and getting access to a lot of business people who want to build this in their society and their communities to make sure people are staying clean. We're currently working on our dashboard. So anybody who gets the product gets an entire dashboard on how people are washing their hands and washing duration and activities. So you can make sure people are meeting those compliance issues. And we can expect to see this product coming out in the fall. 
So we're looking at getting these on full-scale deployment by October, if not sooner than that. It all depends on our rate of funding. But we'll be having small-scale pilots that you'll be seeing in schools and other locations over the course of the next month or two. That's awesome. And again, that number is staggering, um, nearly a billion cases of the common cold in the U.S. alone. And obviously, that's aside for the current uh, sort of the issue of the day. And I know that you are very passionate about involvement in community and that's helping you network and, and sort of bring this out there. And, and it's important that we're, that we're focused on long-term solutions. So Abraham, going back to you, um, obviously, you uh, this has been a project over the past couple of years. Um, you are, I believe, a first-generation American and college student. Um, And you have a really, really fascinating background. So talk to us a little bit about some of the uh, challenges uh, that you have faced um, in, you know, developing these ideas and what it more importantly, what advice you would share with other aspiring entrepreneurs with a similar story as your own. What challenges have you faced and how did you overcome it? I think a lot of the challenges is just from no, no access to information or resources, Like I don't have someone to lean on to who I can say, okay, this is my parents who have done this or they knew a friend. My entire network has been built by me from the ground up. So I've been really intentional about the people I've met and that has helped in supporting me and my mission. So I think really to take away all the complexity of entrepreneurship is about human to human interaction and building community. So I would say anybody who's in my shoes and just getting started, talk to people, get involved with people, build empathetic communities and talk to people who you aspire to be like. I think that empathetic message of just being somebody who's interested goes a long way, especially when you're young. I think that's what served me really well over the last few years is building a community of people who believe in me and can say, okay, this is something you're working on and I can make an introduction to you or somebody else. And I think that's really been spiraling out. I think at this point, I think I have close to almost 2000 people on LinkedIn and for a 23-year-old, that can be kind of impressive. And it's been something that I've been having to pull and bootstrap myself. And another thing is funding. You know, especially being in a hardware startup, it's really hard to get started. And we've been, I think, just being at a university, we've been able to get a lot of access to a lot of resources. And last year, we've won over $25,000. So we've been able to bootstrap this without any external funding. Well, it's very, very impressive. Uh, City Health Tech and and Opal, it's really, really amazing. And as you said, at a very young age, and I believe, uh, I'm not sure how this has impacted your graduation date, uh, but I believe you are... uh, you are supposed to be graduating um, over the next uh, 30 days. Maybe you already did, but yeah. congratulations on that. Um, I know we're going to say a lot more great things to come, but uh, surely our listeners have a lot of questions. We'll want to learn more. How, they, how can they find out more about Opal and better hand washing habits? They can visit our website at cityhealthtech.com and submit a pre-order request or, and, or engage with us through our contact form. We're eagerly waiting for people to reach out to us and we're taking those as they come. So hear back with us in 24 to 48 hours. That's cityhealthtech.com. Well, cityhealthtech.com. Thank you for all the uh, innovative ideas. I know there's going to be a lot more to come from you, Ibrahim Eleanor. Thank you so much for uh, joining us on the air. Keep us posted on your progress. We will be back on the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship after a very quick break. You're listening to Get Down to Business Chicago. Don't touch the dial. We'll be right back. Back on the show, all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. And our listeners know, love to highlight amazing people doing amazing things in the community. One of those amazing things in the community is the Carry the Load Foundation. I'm thrilled to have Josh Lewis, an ambassador for Carry the Load, joining me here on the air. Josh, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks so much for having me. 
Absolutely. So, Josh, you enlisted in the United States Marine Corps in 2003, uh, deployed in both Afghanistan and Iraq, and uh, you are currently with J.P. Morgan Chase, but you are an active participant in the Carry the Loads National Relay, Dallas Memorial March, and I know you have been out here in Chicago at the uh, Carry the Load Rally. Uh, Josh, can you tell us a little bit about Carry the Load and why you have been inspired to dedicate so much time to the organization? Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, I know in 2011, I was working for this guy named Clint Bruce, who was one of the founders of Carry the Load. And he came to me with this idea of, hey, Josh, let's walk for 20 hours and 11 minutes. And uh, as recently separated from the Marines, I thought, this guy is, is crazy. Uh, and I remember stepping off that first year in Dallas in 2011, just taking a step, thinking, why am I doing this? Um, this is ridiculous. And, and around 2 a.m., my feet were hurting. My shoulders hurt. I wanted to quit. And I, I got angry. And I realized that that anger was not because of the pain in my feet or the pain in my shoulders or the uncomfortableness that I was experiencing. But it was really due to the fact that I, I felt that people just didn't care anymore. And what I've realized as we began to walk down the East Coast in 2012 and uh, and Chicago last year and all throughout America is that over time, that physical pain has brought emotional healing. And it's allowed me to just um, let go of some of that anger that I've experienced just from losing uh, some of the guys that we lost. Absolutely. And we are rapidly coming up to Memorial Day. And uh, while it's a common you know, phrase, thank you for your service. Um, it's, we, we as a nation need to spend more time uh, thinking about and raising awareness about those who sacrifice for us daily um, by giving an active way to remember, honor, and celebrate them. So, uh, Josh, tell us a little bit about Carry the Load's uh, methods in restoring the true meaning of Memorial Day. What are some of the programs and uh, some of those some of those ways that most importantly our listeners can get involved. Yeah, so it's a number of ways. Uh, so carry the load this year. We're looking easiest thing to do is uh, to raise money. So carry the load looks to raise two and a half million dollars in May of 2020. Uh, we've raised 25.2 million dollars since 2011, which has just been um, amazing. But uh, most of that money is going to go through uh, to one of our three programs, which is carry the load um, awareness. We have continuum of care and then our education program. One thing I love about our education program is we're really passing it on to the next generation. And I don't know about you, but growing up, unfortunately, it just wasn't something that was talked about as far as how I should really um, pay tribute to those that paid that ultimate sacrifice and how I should honor their memory. Absolutely. yeah, and our education program really goes to help us do that and help us uh, just pass that legacy on to those younger generations. And the motto of carry the carry the load is "Who are you carrying?" And so it's a very simple ask um, of Americans to do something in the month of May, which we're already halfway through, and over Memorial Day weekend, um, so our listeners will have the opportunity to honor those who have sacrificed for us. And on the website, which we'll share in a moment, um, people can sort of follow along. And even in the midst of COVID and the midst of, you know, many of us um, are, you know, quarantined, isolated, all that, all that, there are still ways that people can uh, step up. So 
when when asking that question of who are you carrying, you, you started explaining some of your uh, some of your uh, examples and some of your stories, Josh. When you talk to folks, what what's the response? What's the reaction been? And and especially now in the midst of the situation that we're in right now. What are some of the suggestions that you have for what folks can do? We're not doing a rally in a big public square. What are some of those ideas? This year, it's almost easier to participate, easier than ever. I mean, we're asking that you go take a walk, a run, walk with your family. Maybe you put a pack on, maybe you don't. Print out the carry the load uh, memory tag that we have on our website and just simply Take a picture of it, do a short video, post it to uh, any of your social media sites, Facebook, Instagram, hashtag carry the load. And that's just part of our virtual walk. We'll be doing virtual rallies. You can participate in our live live chats that we're doing. We've got one just about every day going on. Participate in those. Super easy to participate this year. Couldn't be easier. So yeah, you're correct. We're not doing any live rally. We're not doing any uh, big gathering but we are getting together to honor those that have paid the ultimate sacrifice. Another thing that is huge about this COVID-19 going on is, is we're also saying thank you to those first responders, the ones on the first line, the front line this year, um, nurses, doctors, police, firemen, gosh, they've just crushed it, killed it this year, just doing an amazing job of getting out there, putting their own health at risk and, and providing for those hundreds of thousands of Americans that, that have fallen ill to this. And every day they answer the call. It's really amazing. So Josh, um, that's a perfect segue. Um, your employer, uh, JP Morgan Chase, has been the lead sponsor of CTL Carry the Load for uh, six consecutive years. And I know that fundraising is certainly uh, definitely something that uh, you know folks can either, of course, donate themselves, but also hopefully raise money through some of these activities for the incredible work that CTL is doing. So let's talk about uh, about some of those outreach and support programs. You mentioned first responders. What are some of those uh, initiatives that are going to first responders and to veterans and service members? Yeah, absolutely. Carry the Load has partnered with a number of nonprofits uh, that have reached out to first responders. We've got a number of them that that are either beneficiaries or partners with us. Um, some like um, Sons of the Flag. Sons of the Flag is an amazing one that helps um, burn victims. They provide funding for fellowships for doctors uh, to, to figure out how to um, advance science and medicine for burn victims, um, something that has been neglected candidly for a long time. Um, the Navy Steel Foundation, we've got the Adaptive Training Foundation, Heroes on the Water, a number of them that, that help first responders that um, just either A, when they've been in, injured, help their families, or, or when that family member pays that ultimate sacrifice, we're there to help. I wouldn't say put the pieces back together, but put the pieces back into some sense of normalcy. So, I mean, my, my request of listeners, um, and hopefully you folks can pay this forward and, you know, pass these links along that we're going to share in just a moment, um, is to not just say thank you, um, and, but actually do something and actually carry the load. And really, you know, I ask all of you, who are you carrying? It's such an important message as we have a couple of days until 
Memorial Day, uh, the folks can step up and people can uh, be involved and contribute to the organization. So on the Carry the Load website, there are three primary programs. There's the awareness, which uh, Josh, you just talked a lot about. There's the, uh, there's the education, which is carry the flag. Who are you carrying? Uh, teaching the next generation about the sacrifices made. Talk a little bit about that. But tell us a little bit about that continuum of care and, uh, and, and where Care the Load's involved in, in that arena. Yeah, so continuum of care goes more towards what, a little bit of what I mentioned as far as helping other nonprofits, how we are moving forward with other nonprofits that make sure we are taking care of those that have paid that ultimate sacrifice. Um, right. just, constant, just constantly um, checking in to make sure that we are providing their needs, provide, providing, um, providing just basic needs for families that have lost loved ones. Well, uh, thank you for your advocacy on behalf of Carry the Load. And uh, thank you for sharing the message with all of our listeners. I do want to make sure um, that uh, that everybody listening to the program knows how they can support, either make a donation or get involved in the incredibly important initiatives of the organization. How can uh, folks find out more? Absolutely. You can find out more or donate at carrytheload.org. Uh, it, it's easy to go online, donate to any of those programs. Uh, you can donate to a specific virtual ra- rally, uh, or you can find a team member or a friend and donate in honor of them or, or donate on their team. I appreciate it. Josh Lewis, Marine Corvette um, and ambassador for Carry the Load Foundation. Thank you so much for joining us on the air. Uh, thank you for all that you continue to do. And I do hope that all of our listeners will find out more. We'll be sure to link from our website. We're going to squeeze in a quick break. We will be back on the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. You get on my website, shalomfline.com to download podcasts from the show. We'll be right back, Chicago. Don't touch that button. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Get on my website, shalomkline.com, where you can download podcasts from the past six plus years of programming. Some fantastic people, fantastic organizations. One of those organizations and one of those fantastic leaders is my next guest, Tenny Gross, the uh, the head honcho over here at the Institute for Nonviolence Chicago. Tenny, you are an incredible ambassador, the executive director of the organization. Welcome to the program. What is the Nonviolence Institute, Institute for Nonviolence Chicago? The Institute is, uh, was founded uh, to combat the violence that we're facing. We work in three neighborhoods in Austin, in uh, West Garfield, and back of the yards. And we are part of a larger coalition that we built the last three years called Communities Partnering for Peace, as well as Ready. And it's an, intended as an architecture to really deal on the streets with the conflict, help people who are involved in violence, from very practical things like helping relocate, uh, mediate conflict, help with jobs, etc., uh, to really dealing with the traumas, et cetera. And uh, it worked on the East Coast and on the West Coast, uh, as well as partially in Chicago. And now there's a more concerted effort to bring Chicago in line with other big cities that have managed to dec- reduce their violence since the, the top uh, numbers were in the early 90s. Yeah. And uh, Tony, I know that uh, you just mentioned it. Um, you've been involved in many communities and 
studying uh, and practicing, you know, not violence uh, across the United States. And uh, your uh, you you obviously have a background. Your accent is a uh, is a giveaway. Uh, came from uh, came from Israel, and you 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 started the institute. Uh, 2015, 2016, uh, beginning in Austin, um, Chicago's neighborhood, which uh, most impacted by violence. So, Tony, talk about some of the programs that you're doing and uh, how you are educating and working within communities to make a difference. I think a lot is about relationships. So a lot of our staff come from the communities. Quite a few of our staff have had themselves uh, criminal backgrounds that had violent past that were involved. It's part of the environment. And uh, that change of heart is, makes them, I think, uh, a very relevant peacemaker. Just like myself, I'm a former sergeant in the Israeli army in the IDF. When you're involved in conflict, when you, when you see the consequences of violence and you turn towards peace, sometimes it comes from a very well-informed uh, dislike of violence and what it costs and uh, what, what it hurts people. So we're very relational build as well as resources. So we have outreach workers all across our neighborhoods and uh, we are victim advocates and we respond 24 hours a day to every shooting incident or stabbing. But hopefully a lot of it happens be- before that and hopefully a lot we stop before it uh, comes to the level of a shooting. So really a group that pays attention to conflicts, right? It is our main priority. What's going on? Who is fighting who? What is the history of the conflict? As well as has something new happen? Uh, we look at social media and we interact with a lot of young people. And we help people get off the tree that they climbed and they don't know how to, but they don't want to get killed. So we have done truces in some of our neighborhoods. We have brought rivals together. There's now rivals that become fast friends because they spend time together and we were able to put away the conflict. So it's a lot of detailed work. It's a lot of uh, attention paid. Our phone constantly rings and constantly get texts and we pay attention really to those conflicts. And we bring, we bring in a lot of resources when we can, like employment, like uh, counseling. Like we will help monetarily. We will relocate victims when we can and when that's required. So a lot of things that help resolve the issues. There's a lot of issues. It's nothing gets resolved easily or immediately. Like with the peace, um, it's always tentatively. Someone can break it. So you've got to go back to work. You've got to do maintenance of conflicts, etc. Well, you're, you guys are doing incredible work in, in really, uh, really communicating and building relationships, building relationships in community and, and uh, being, as you said, proactive. Um, we only have uh, about a minute and a half remaining. And I know that, as you state very clearly on your website, in this era of COVID-19, we must come together and join the mission to keep Chicago safe. Um, talk briefly, Tenny, about uh, sort of how the current situation and, and what you're dealing with, and then most importantly, how folks can support your work and get involved. Let's start with that because I always forget to do that part. Uh, nonviolencechicago.org is our website, and if people want to donate or find ways to volunteer or contribute in kind materials and foods, we would appreciate that. When the COVID stay-at-home order came, we sat with our team and we had a lot of discussions as well as other nonprofits. And uh, we gave our team an option. You want to work remotely? Uh, what would you like to do? And they really said, no, we want to continue. The neighborhood's going to need us now more than ever. 
I think that is extremely significant. So we switched to a really more robust public health model, not just dealing with violence, which is a public health problem. We started immediately educating to those the government doesn't reach, and we reach well to them on the corners, on the streets, about the, the, the realness of this virus. And then we started distributing food as well and other resources because distribution sources have dried out. I'm very proud that those who many people who often uh, dislike in our society with criminal records are the ones who decided not to abandon their communities. And they, they would have had all right. I appreciate all that you're doing. Visit the website, nonviolencechicago.org. Tenny Gross, thank you so much for joining us on the air. Welcome back to Get Down to Business. I am thrilled to be joined by Mark Lowther. Um, Mark is a US, United States Marine Corps veteran. I feel like I've been uh, surrounded on this program uh, by, uh, I'm an Army guy, but uh, Marine Corps certainly is very popular uh, on this program today. And Mark retired after 24 years of service at the Weber County Sheriff's Office in Ogden, Utah. Very, very interesting background. And Mark, welcome to the program. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for having me today. Absolutely. It's great to have you. You have served as a SWAT hostage negotiator for a major portion of your career, uh, Mark, before we get into what you do, I'd love to get to know our guests, the, the person behind the microphone. What have you done both in the United States Marine Corps as well as uh, in the Sheriff's Office? Uh, in the Marine Corps, I was uh, an F-18 mechanic. I worked on F-18 fighter aircraft, uh, deployed aboard uh, three aircraft carriers uh, in the 80s during the Cold War. Uh, got out, uh, was actually looking at pursuing a career in uh, the fire service as a paramedic, uh, but ultimately ended up finding myself in uh, the law enforcement field. Uh, Started my career in law enforcement working in corrections, working in uh, uh, the county jail, which is pretty typical for a lot of uh, people that work for sheriff's offices, and then transitioned to uh, street work, uh, worked patrol, school resource officer, DARE officer, uh, investigations, warrants, fugitives, vice, traffic, uh, promoted to sergeant, then promoted to lieutenant. Uh, and uh, as I said, during a major part of that career, I was a SWAT crisis hostage negotiator during a good part of that career. It's an incredible background. And uh, you certainly have uh, have proven over and over again, uh, using your uh, police tactics, um, that you have solved problems. But now, Mark, you are on a, uh, you're on a quest to help translate those police tactics to solve real-world organizational problems, which I find fascinating. And, of course, we'll share all your contact information, negotiator911.com. But, Mark, uh, are police tactics translatable in the corporate arena? Absolutely. And uh, what I teach is is, uh, communications. Uh, That's what negotiations is. Uh, In a lot of police occupations, you're relevant for about nine years after you retire. And what I mean by that is, you know, technology advances, uh, the new equipment, new trends, those types of things. Uh, but communications is communications. In fact, uh, communications is becoming almost a lost art. Uh, you know, one of the examples I give when I train SWAT negotiators is, you know, 80 years ago when my grandmother baked a pie, she made the pie crust, she made the filling, she made everything to, to create that pie. And then, you know, 40 years ago when my mother made the pie, she bought the pie crust pre-made and then put the filling in, stuff like that. 
Today, when my wife makes a pie, she pulls it out of the freezer and sticks it in the oven. So it's easy to say you still know how to make a pie, but we've lost kind of a lot of those skills along the way. And with technology, email, Zoom, uh, texting, Twitter, uh, social media, a lot of times we kind of lose those basic communication skills. And that's what I focus on is communication skills, communicating with people and communicating with people in crisis as well. The name of your consulting firm is Talk To Me Crisis Communication. Um, and on your website specifically, you highlight uh, four different areas, crisis hostage communication, verbal de-escalation, hostage survival, and counseling without conflict. And it's that last one, counseling without conflict, um, that I uh, I want to spend a minute or two uh, with you on. Um, right now, you mentioned some of those uh, platforms and technology um, that we are being forced to use because we are physically distant, not socially distant, but physically di- distant. Um, it is possible that folks are not communicating as effectively as they would be face-to-face u- using some of those just natural cues that uh, that come across. I don't want to steal all of the uh, all of the secret sauce that you share with companies and organizations. What are some of the things that you would recommend for our listeners that are being forced to run their teams remotely, and how can folks improve their communication skills? Uh, we lose a lot with technology. You know, uh, like if I walked up to you and I said, "Hey, you know, how are you? What are you doing here today?" Or I could walk up to you and I could say, "Hey, how are you? What are you doing here today?" Uh, with just voice inflection and body language, we lose so much of the meaning. You know, am I being sarcastic? Am I being joyful? Am I greeting you? Those types of things. Uh, you lose that in a text message. You lose that in an email. And so a lot of times we kind of lose the, the meaning. You know, a compliment could sound derogatory. Uh, you know, we, can, we, we lose a lot of the voice inflection that really emphasizes communication. And that's kind of one of the big things that we lose with technology. Yes, it's great to... Uh, send a text or a tweet or a social media post. But a lot of times we lose that voice inflection, that personal touch, and we can sometimes be misinterpreted in our message. Uh, so, uh, so I've been chatting with Mark Lowther uh, again. Uh, fantastic um, experience in the world of uh, of law enforcement, and of course, uh, Marine Corvette. Uh, talk to me, crisis communication. Uh, Mark, last question for you is: uh, as have you seen any? Uh, any situations in the corporate arena that uh, that have struck you as, oh, my God, that's worse than that hostage situation that I had to deal with while, uh, while serving in law enforcement? Uh, I had one. I did, a, I did some con- uh, consulting for a company last year, and one of the things they wanted me to focus on, one of the first things they asked me was, have you ever had to tell a hostage negotiate or a hostage taker no, that he couldn't have something? And I said, oh, yeah, all the time. And they're like, can you teach our salespeople that because – they're entering into an agreements and commitments that we can't honor, but basically they get bullied or intimidated into making these concessions. And then someone has to come along later and be the bad guy or comp them the, the service. And so uh, it was kind of surprising that I was having to teach uh, the corporate world how to say no to each other instead of saying no to a hostage taker. Some new skills out in that uh, organizational and corporate arena. Um, Mark, thanks so much for joining us. I want to make sure our listeners know where, can they, where they can find out more. What's your website? Um, my website is negotiator911.com. Fantastic. Negotiator911.com. Mark Lather, thank you so much for uh, sharing some of those tips with us. That's what the show is all about. Tips, advice, information. If you're listening to Get Down to Business. We're going to squeeze in a quick break and we'll be right back. Uh, thanks again, Mark. Appreciate it. Thank you. 
Back on the show, all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. And everybody's affected in some way by coronavirus, some physical health, mental health, employment. But an Evanston CEO, my next guest, beat coronavirus during six weeks in self-isolation. They'll be joined by Sunny Sultani, um, who is that Evanston CEO. Uh, Sunny, welcome to the program. Hey, oh, great to be here. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. So February was an eventful month for you. You launched new business. Your father fainted and needed hip, hip surgery. Your grandmother died. A lot going on. Um, tell me a little bit of what else happened in February and in March and uh, share your story with our listeners. Yeah. So started a business and uh, a series of events that, uh, uh, you know, uh, don't uh, go well for us. Uh, you know, father, uh, he has some issues. He, he faints and he has, he needs hip replacement. And then, uh, uh, grandma passes away where, you know, we're flying back from the funeral. This is where I think I contracted coronavirus. And then, uh, when I, uh, you know, two weeks later, I start, uh, I start feeling sick and, uh, that, uh, went straight into isolation for six weeks, all while trying to, uh, deal with the startup. Well, let's talk about that startup and let's talk about how uh, how you have been, uh, even in the midst of uh, quarantine, um, you have grown the business, I believe, uh, upwards of 11 clients across the United States. Uh, what's the name of the business? What do you do? It's 120 over 80. And uh, we're a digital marketing agency specializing in uh, uh, performance marketing for business to business folks. Uh, that is awesome. So, uh, while you were getting 120 over 80 uh, underway, how how were you able to ramp up the business and uh, grow your clients? Because we're all about entrepreneurship. Share your advice. You certainly are, are an amazing success story, regardless of coronavirus, but you were fighting off, uh, you're fighting off diseases and fighting off uh, all sorts of things, including many family situations at the same time. What was your lesson and what advice would you share with our listeners? Well, I had, to, I had to take some big risk, right? And the first risk I had to take was as I was falling ill, I had to hire someone. Um, that's hard in itself when you're, when you're well, but uh, especially your second employee. I, uh, I hired someone who was being let go, um, who was in the marketing department. So I, I had to take a big chance here to, to get some help. Uh, the second thing I had to do is let my clients know I'm not going to be feeling well. I might not be attentive. Uh, and I gave them all an out. I said, hey, if you need to go where uh, somewhere else, I will completely understand. Lucky for me, I had some great clients who not only understood, but understood that this was just a, uh, a, a pandemic and it was a, it was a really big issue. And uh, uh, they all paid me otherwise. So, I mean, regardless of what was going on. So I was very fortunate to have the right for sets of clients, which usually is a big deal for a small business. So um, you do what you can. I mean, you, you get up with a few hours of uh, ounces of energy that you have. Uh, you try to make the most of it. You try to stay productive, but you don't know where this virus is leading. You don't know whether you're going to, uh, you, you know, you're going to be well and you're going to have to take care of these clients. So you're not going to be well and you're dealing with that portion too. Yeah. And I know that you've, uh, you've talked about how, uh, your values have, uh, have, have certainly, uh, uh, been prioritized in the midst of all of this. And that's understandable both personally as well as professionally. So I want to make sure, um, we, we sort of highlighted your story, which is a 
fascinating story and it's gotten some some attention and i wanted to, i was just privileged to have you i'm a skokie guy you're in evanston um 120 over 80 uh, how can people learn more about your uh, firm and get in touch with you about your story well we still have uh, yet to have a website but if you go to 120over80.com 120over80.com uh, there's a contact us and i'd love to i'd love to connect with folks right now it's all about networking right now so uh, uh you know, I'd love to learn about their business. I'd love to share uh, stuff about my business. All yeah. about networking. One to zero over 80, even in quarantine, uh, you could use Zoom, lots of great platforms, and we are spotlighting lots of great innovation on this program. Um, Sonny, thank you so much for joining me. We are yeah. all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. To success, let's get down to business. Thanks for tuning in this week. We'll talk to you next Sunday at 6 p.m. Right here on AM560, The Answer.